Hello and welcome to what might be episode 216 of the Crate and Crowbar, uh, recording on 19th of November in Austin, Texas. And with me here today are some people who are going to talk now. I don't know what they're going to say. I'm Zach. <laughs> I'm Kevin. And this might be episode number 310 of Video Games Hot Dog, a podcast that we don't normally record in Austin, Texas. Um, I think... We're, yeah, we're the three of us are here at Fantastic Arcade in Austin, Texas, and thought we would record a podcast, but then we realized that we didn't know which podcast it was. It's a podcast of opportunity. <laughs> so this is probably because we are. If I know anything about us, based on this week, it is that we are all very lazy. And, uh, <laughs> so this is probably to to disappoint the intersection of the Venn diagram of the yeah. fans of both of our podcasts. You only get one episode out of both feeds this week. Yeah, probably. if you like Crate and Crowbar, you're going to be really pleased to get a little bit of that with also some cool guests who are going to be right up your alley, and you're going to discover a whole new podcast that you're going to love. If you like video games, hot dog, you're going to be even more pleased because you get two thirds of uh, this podcast is video games, hot dog, and you're going to discover the Crate and Crowbar, which is a great podcast you're going to love. If you like both, you're screwed. <laughs> you could listen to it twice. <laughs> so, we're here at Fantastic Arcade. Yeah. Where we've seen video games and seen people talking about video games and talked to a lot of people about video games. Fantastic Arcade happens in the Alamo Drafthouse here. One of them. There's multiple. Um, which is a cinema where they serve you food and drink in your seat. And during Fantastic Arcade, it's a cinema where you are watching cool, interesting people talk about cool, interesting video games while people serve you food and drink in your seat, including alcohol. Yes. And there's really... Lots and lots of beer. You want for nothing. You can just sit there all day and just be <laughs> served everything you could possibly want whilst being constantly entertained in a really comfortable seat. <laughs> and it's amazing. I don't find the seat to be particularly comfortable really? with everything else that you said was You need true. to go to some UK cinemas. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, the, so the, in previous years, Fantastic Arcade has been affiliated with Fantastic Fest, which is like a film festival. Yeah. Film festival for horror and fantasy. It's, it, it, I, I don't know what its actual charter was. Um, I, I only went to see one movie when I went last year and that was Phantasm and it was terrible and Riff is wrong about believing that that movie is good. <laughs> um, but this is the first year they've separated from that. I don't know if it was because there was some sort of, bureaucratic weirdness between the events or because they just Fantastic Arcade outgrew Fantastic Fest or vice versa or why they split it. But we were sort of curious how it was going to be this year because it's, it's, it's the first time that it's geographically and temporally distinct from an existing uh, thing. But it's it seems bigger and just as good. And better, honestly, because it was always just overflowing. The theater was just overflowing yeah. with movie attendees. Yeah, it's been good this time. Uh, I'm just going to jump in quickly to say, did I say who I was? <laughs> I think I introduced the podcast and not myself. I think, I think, well, that's, I think that's possible. You're Tom Francis. I'm Tom Francis. Hello. <laughs> um, so we've been playing some games at Fantastic Arcade yeah. and also watching some talks. And I guess we're going to talk about those games, right? Yeah, the way, the way that Fantastic Arcade works is that they have a festival selection and they set up a bunch of computers in the bar of the Alamo Drafthouse with a sort of a finicky launcher that, that, game maker, I noticed. That, that you can use yeah oh yeah whenever whenever Actually, it crashes you can see the game maker icon I know, in the system tray. I know without checking that it's an old version of Game Maker because um because newer versions of Game Maker don't let you launch another executable from within the game. And mm. I actually had to do the exact same thing for um the special edition extras for heat signature. I wanted to just um I don't even want to launch them. I just want to open a folder on your hard drive. And game modern game maker won't let you do that because you just can't fuck with anything to do with Windows. Um, so it's just all protected memory space or something. Yeah. So uh, the heat signature uh, extras for the, with the supporters edition is secretly a game maker file that literally just invisibly opens a folder and then closes itself. 
Best game I ever made. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a, there's a launcher. It doesn't mean every game that is in Fantastic Arcade has to run on a Windows PC, which... Yeah. I mean, most games, I guess, even console games are developed on a Windows PC. So, <laughs> and it's it's pretty ad hoc. I mean, West of Loathing was in the selection last year. Heat Signature is in it this year. I don't remember. Did we just send them a build? And we did, and then we got here, and it wasn't working, and so we had to make a new build. And that's a common experience yeah. <laughs> amongst. Um, yeah, it, but it's cool that you can. I like the system because if you have like two machines dedicated to each thing. Um, it's people can't necessarily play what they want and like one can have a huge queue and yeah um, i think this year it would probably be untitled goose game would have had the huge queue if they had like yeah. dedicated a, a lot John. of the times when i walked into the bar every one of the stations was being used to play untitled <laughs> goose game by a much broader cross section of attendees than yeah. any other game that i ever saw this is uh, i'd be interested to hear from you guys uh if you saw the little video they put out uh, before, like, let, let's say on Twitter, you're friends with these guys, and uh, they're about to do this announcement. And they send you that, and they say, "How do you think it's going to do? Uh-huh. What would your reaction be?" <laughs> I didn't see it. I would have been. I would have said, uh, "This this will probably get you know, a hundred a hundred likes or yeah. retweets or whatever," because it, it was cute and cool, but not the explosive phenomenon that it became. Yeah, it's totally my kind of thing, and it's totally load of my friends kind of thing, but I had no idea like that just blew up in a crazy way. I have never seen any video game announcement or anything blow up the way that that did. You know, like <laughs> it was just suddenly everywhere way. in every in every press outlet that I follow on Twitter and and see on a on a yeah, regular was, basis. Um, and uh Although I wouldn't have predicted it, I think it's deserved. It's like a, it's an awesome thing. You play a goose um, walking around a uh, farm, which in which a farmer is trying to just keep their keep his shit job. together yeah. <laughs> and uh, go about his business. And you have a sort of uh, this is a goose that keeps a day planner, <laughs> and you can access your day planner to find out what your goals are. And there's a, a checklist of like uh, steal the farmer's keys and um, uh, put a sandwich in the lake, maybe. Um, rake in the lake. Uh, rake in the lake. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I, did, I failed that objective because I thought it said cake in the lake and I couldn't find oh. a cake. <laughs> um, but I put the, the farmer sandwich in a lake and then uh, I I think I thought that was the objective actually. I thought you, the objective was to put the, the sandwich in the lake. Um, Might have but... secretly been a rake sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so when you eat it, it pops up in your face like yeah, your yeah, one, <laughs> but just hits your tooth. I'm thinking of a mousetrap sandwich, but similar. <laughs> um... I almost didn't play this because the video they did is so good. It shows you the the goose doing all these things. And it's just basically a goose being a jerk to a human. And that's inherently funny. It's got this really nice, like, flat-shaded art style. It uh, looks really clean. And um, the animation on the goose is really convincing. It's, it's got a lot of character to it. notch It really does feel solid. And that is all, like, it's really well uh, blended. So, like, when you're playing, you have, like, a stealth mode, a run mode, a honk mode and a f- uh, extend your wings mode you can't fly you just extend your wings and all of those things can stack and independently and you can just do as many of as few of those things at once as you like and it will animate correctly as you do that uh, it's very physics-y uh, these are the guys who made push me pull you um which is that uh multiplayer game about wrapping your elongated body around another stretchy elongated body it's like kind of 2v2 right because you have you're you're connected to your teammate by a yeah elastic body yeah you are um sort of two of human a, torso ends of a sausage yeah like, <laughs> flesh a, like sausage. not quite a not quite a human centipede <laughs> this is like yeah. super pole riders except the pole is your shared gut <laughs> yes 
which is to say that they have they have form for doing physics in games well and making it look good and feel good. And that was a two D game, wasn't it, or was it? I think it was running in three D. Mm. Like it was, you know, a flat plane. But I think, and it was flat shaded again. But I think, actually, no, no, I have no idea. Um, but it, that had a real uncanny look to it, like the way their hands kind of creeped across the floor was really right. convincing. Um, and similarly, this goose is, is really convincingly animated and looks great and has a little character to it. And yeah, you kind of move your beak around, like in stealth mode, your beak goes lower. So if you want to pick something up, you kind of go into stealth mode, then hit the pick up button. Um, you can sort of pick up an uh, improbable number of objects as yeah. a goose. Yeah, and it's... I, I almost didn't play it because it, it, the video showed what you do, how to do the checklist things. Basically, it just went through them all, which is a great way to do a video. But means that the, I, I was thinking, like maybe I just wait till this is done and play the rest of the game. I you thought, it was gonna be- instead of playing, perhaps you would just take a gander. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris. The difference, the, <laughs> that's funny because I was about to say the difference between our podcasts is that on your podcast, you guys make incredibly sophisticated and clever puns and none of you laugh at them. And on our podcast, we make like three levels below that puns and we all crack up. <laughs> it's a race to the middle. It was I think it's way... just that people don't get, we don't like, we make puns that none of the others of us get. <laughs> Um, it is much more sandboxy than I thought. So I'm glad mm. I did play it because actually immediately the first thing I thought my obje- I was wrong, it turns out, but I thought my objective was to put the sandwich in the lake. And what I immediately did is I put the sandwich in the lake and then thought, I want to pick that sandwich back up again and put it back on the bench where it was so that when the farmer eats his lunch, the sandwich will be secretly wet. He won't know it's in the lake. Like he won't have the moment of dismay of seeing his lunch in the lake. He will instead think it's there and then only when he bites into it will he find it soggy. And I was actually seeing with one of the developers and, um, uh, uh, he was, you know, uh, grimacing at all the things I was doing that was <laughs> making it glitch out or finding edge cases or just completely willfully misunderstanding the rules or <laughs> refusing to play ball. Um, and uh, I was saying, you know, that was what I was thinking in my head, but of course I'm wrong because the, the, the farmer would actually detect the wetness of the sandwich when he touched it. If you want to simulate that, you know, go ahead. And he pointed out the farmer has gloves, so he wouldn't. <laughs> it would have worked perfectly. Um, it's not quite that, like the farmer doesn't actually go over there and eat that lunch, I don't think, but it's full of stuff like that. Um, and the farmer is has an incredibly difficult job. He must be like one of the hardest working AIs in games because everything in the farm that you move or fuck around with, they're all physics objects, including like sacks of compost that are also bendy and uh, flop around and stuff. You can move them wherever you like and drag them all the way out of the farm into the lake. You can stack them on top of each other. And the farmer has to run around and undo everything you did, put everything back where it was. And it's not like a cheaty thing. It doesn't snap back to the original location. He has to physically drag it. And if their things are stacked, he has to restack them. And like that just seems like a nightmare to make. I don't know. Like I was actually, I was trying to uh, find the limits of the system. I wanted to break it. And uh, there's like a radio on a box and you can take the radio and you can take the box. And I thought, well, well he has to put them both back and stack them on top of each other. So I thought, what if I put something where the box is supposed to be? Then he's got to put oh, the yeah. box on top of it. And I did that, but the thing I moved was also one of his prized possessions. So before he put anything else back, he picked that up, put that back where it's supposed to be. So there's like an order of operations that he does. So then, because I knew he didn't interact with his lunch, I went all the way back out, picked up his lunch from the bench, and then put like the sandwich underneath the crate before he would put it. Because he doesn't care where the sandwich is. Um, And also, he doesn't care where that apple is, but he cares where a different apple is. (laughs) Okay. Um, And that worked. The sandwich is now under that crate forever. (laughs) Like, it didn't cause as much physics problems as I had hoped because it was only a sandwich, but... Uh, can you hide the crate in the sh- in the shrub where you can hide some smaller objects? 
Um, I didn't know you could hide uh, things in the shrubs specifically, but okay. um, this is quite a big box, as I recall. But yeah, the uh, not only is he like uh, AI agent who has to interact with the physics system to place things, he also has um, a sort of a stealth game AI uh, limitations. So he can only uh, if you steal something and he never sees you take it and he also doesn't see where you put it, he can't put it back because he doesn't know where it is. He might be annoyed that it's gone from where he expects it to be, but he can't um, find it unless you uh, unless he sees you take it or he sees where you took it to. Um, and in fact, stealing his keys is one of the, the sort of uh, first tricky objectives because they're on his person at all times. So you have to wait for him to be doing something else and you can sneak up close to him and, um, and nab them. And... My self-imposed directive was uh, you only have to steal his keys. There's no actual reason to do that because the keys open a gate that gets you into the farm, but the way you get into the farm in the first place is to trick him into opening the gate for you so you go through, so you don't need the keys for that. So the only reason to need the keys, um, I thought, was what if I lure him back out uh, and when he doesn't have his keys and then I go and manually close his gate because <laughs> the gate can only be opened with the keys, but it can be closed by anyone. Um and then he will be trapped out of his farm forever and lose his livelihood, hopefully. <laughs> if you, What happens if you do that and leave the keys inside the gate? Because you also can't open the gate if it's locked. Yeah, that's a good question. If you dropped the keys inside after you'd done that, all I was trying to do was lock him out and keep myself in. And I managed to oh. uh, I managed to get as far as I stole his keys. I tricked him to getting going out of the farm and I managed to shut the gate. But in the uh, struggle to sort of do that it's very physics and you have limited turning circle as a goose <laughs> as we all know from nature um and i couldn't quite squeeze into the gate before it closed so i was trapped out too um and the keys the reason the farmer couldn't get the keys back was because they were in the lake and he right. never saw me bring them there so he didn't know where to look for them so he just stood forlornly at the fence like looking in at his farm that he works <laughs> on um yeah if, you, if the keys were inside at that point you're right you don't need the keys to close the gate so they could be inside, and then you could you always bring both the keys be trapped back to him if they're still outside the gate. But yeah, if you, if you could drop the keys inside, and then both of you are outside and lock the gate, maybe might you might be in a state to... where the game just can't. Yeah, I mean that's so intentional. You have to work so right. hard to make that happen that at that point, I think as a developer, I would be like, yeah, fine. <laughs> well <laughs> well so it wouldn't be completable because you could no longer do specific cruel things to yeah. the. Yeah, yeah. There's, because there's of... because the you the player are more of a monster than the goose is intended <laughs> yeah. to be in. Which the... is the real victory, I think. Yeah. Actually, I found myself, because it's so expressive, I just found myself doing things just to sort of, uh, I don't know, just to, um, uh, like, create the impression of a certain personality or something. So, like, soaking a sandwich is, like, a, a tricky thing to make, play a better prank on the farmer. I knew he was never going to come and pick it up. I just did it because in my head it was funny. Um, and then uh, I was experimenting with what I could pick up, and one of the things was, like, a carrot that's planted in the soil. Um, and there's a basket next to them um, i think there might even be one carrot in there already and so i picked up the carrot and uh what i was curious about is like does he put the carrot back in the ground uh like does he replant it um and i think when he got it back from me he put it in the box yeah and so i was like oh he wants them to be in the box i'll pick up all his carrots for him and one by one put them in the box for him and basically do his job and like farm for him so I, you can be nice to the farmer as well <laughs> in a weird way Speaking of organizing things, did either of you play Wilmot's Warehouse? <laughs> no. Only only about five or ten minutes of it. I'm, I'm not 100% sold on the concept yet, I don't think. So, uh, Wilmot's Warehouse is a game by the company name, I forget, but it's uh, Ricky Haggett and Dick Hogg. 
Um, and it is a game that is, you are a little abstract square with a face on it, a very expressive face. And you are in a big factory and you move around in two dimensions. And there are some, there's a window at the top of the factory where customers will occasionally ask you for icons. And there is a window at the, there's a loading dock at the bottom of the, it's maybe three screens by three screens factory where a truck will show up and just deliver a bunch of icons. And as the game goes on there, you get more and more different kinds of icons and you're, you're given a bunch of time to sort of organize things in the delivery phase. And then you're given some time to deliver them to the people at the top in the delivery phase. And if you like screw up, you can eventually lose, but generally it is intended to, I think just be kind of a meditative game about organizing stuff. Yeah. And it is meant to appeal to the kind of person who likes to just putter around the house or potter around the house, as you apparently say in England, because yeah, that's where that's where Dick Hogg is from. Or if also, you really like organizing like your inventory in World of Warcraft. Shout out to Dick Hogg for having the name Dick Hogg <laughs> because that is great. Uh, if he was in charge of that company, he would be Boss Hogg. Boss Hogg, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I thought it was pretty cool, and I would have gladly played it a lot longer. Uh, but there was some bug where occasionally one customer would demand zero of a certain thing, and I was <laughs> incapable of delivering that to them in a meaningful way. I just um, giving them. I I did not realize that the person who was watching me play was the other person who had worked on the game. Like I knew, I knew uh, we know Ricky uh, and have for a little while, and. Um, uh, Ricky, Ricky gave us the idea for one of the West of Loathing trailers and then stole that idea for one of the trailers for his own game, <laughs> which I think was pretty unethical. <laughs> um, uh, but the other guy was the artist who then when he gave his talk about making this game sort of revealed that in the process of this game, like essentially he as the artist was determining the difficulty of the game by deciding what all of the icons looked like and how similar they were and how many there were and how hard they were to parse between each other because that's kind of what it, and he had in, he had built them into categories. I don't know if the categories had approximately the same number of items in it. There were like 26 nautical flags, each of which represents a letter. So there were 26 things that were just like extremely abstract patterns, 500 total icons. Right. Uh, but you don't, apparently the warehouse will fill up before you get like two thirds of them in a, any given game. Um, but he was commenting on stuff that I was doing. He was like, Oh, I see you've started a section of mouth related icons and I, <laughs> had to go and look around the factory to see what he was talking about because it was one thing that I hadn't identified as actually being a tongue and another thing that I had not associated with being mouth related, even though it was, a, it was toothpaste. So it clearly was. So I don't know if that was one of his categories. They, 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 during their talk, they, they talked about how watching different people play is interesting because there are people who organize them by background color, uh, which is what you, yeah, that's, Kevin, that's did when, style, when you were sure. playing, um, organizing things by shape. We're going to think things by the number of objects pictured in the icon or I think it would be fun to try and like I had proposed organizing the icons in the factory according to which of your ex-girlfriends you most associate them with like just as a as a challenge like to do some weird thing where you're like well I just have to pick one right like yeah. just give yourself some weird <laughs> quiz that you have to answer about each of these and see how far you get doing it that way I mean I could see that because it, the organizing like as part of the gameplay at least the the organizing principle is what you need to, you need to know where to go to fulfill the orders from the customers 
um, because it is it's expand the space is expansive enough that you can't just do like a a, a, a search every single time they right. ask for something. You're given a lot of time to organize. Like they definitely take, yeah. and, and I guess every few rounds they give you like 15 minutes to to just reorganize the warehouse if you want it. I mean, you can always skip ahead and like earn more points that you can use to upgrade. You get you can get a little autonomous robot buddy that follows you around. It does like some of the uh, it doesn't follow you around. You can, you can take it somewhere, have it look at stuff, and if it remembers that you have taken one of these icons and put it somewhere, it will try to do the same thing if it can. Um. Yeah, that's it, it. It's one of two games. I'm giving you a segue, uh, uh, <laughs> Spike. Here, not a spike. What's the first thing? A set. A set. Yeah. No, a bump. Bump. Okay. I'm giving you a bump. Uh, uh, In the humble. Bundle. Yeah, it's one of the. It, right now, the only way you can get the game is as a humble monthly subscriber. So it's one of one of two games now that are limited to that ecosystem. That I'm from this most recent month too. Yeah, They're both in the same one, which is. Hmm. Pretty strong work by Humble, I think. Right, clearly, clearly their intention was to... Although, I mean, I don't know. Did they know Did they know how good this game... And I don't know, what other what other games are in the in this situation, Kevin? Uh, that, well, so in this month's uh, Humble Model, the, uh, they also have an exclusive um, on Bennett Foddy's new game called Getting uh. Over It, which is masterful. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's probably my favorite game uh, in the Fantastic Arcade uh, selection that I hadn't had a chance to play before. Um, it is... I guess it's based on a game called Sexy Hiking, which I am not aware <laughs> of. Um, but it is a very minimal control uh, situation where you are a figure... Sort of the lower half of your body is like an iron pot filled with water. Um, it's filled with water. Yeah, if yeah, if you if you get it going enough, you can it will slosh <laughs> out. Wow. Uh, so, whatever. Uh, you're incredibly buff, and you're holding a um, a sledgehammer, and your only means of locomotion is by interacting with the world with the sledgehammer. So you can sort of push off with it, sort of like a like an oar, or you can like swing around like sort of like a pickaxe and try to like attach onto something. Um, yeah, the sledgehammer is sharp on one end, right? You can kind of embed it in a rock. Uh, sort of. It's, it's anything with friction. You can, it can sort of like, it has a purchase, but it will slide down surfaces and stuff but, does it, but it gets more of a bite on one side than it does on the other. So that is a, not my Is that not true? Oh. But maybe it could, it could be. I could, I, I did not experience that, but, uh, but maybe that's the trick to getting up some of the stuff that I was having trouble with. Uh, can you like uh, pull it in and extend it? Yeah. Well? So you, it's controlled entirely by the mouse. So you're only there's not the buttons, just the motion of the mouse. And so you can sort of rotate around uh, sort of in an arc or you can sort of extend it closer or further to your body. Um, and so you can do things like just push it really quickly off to downward and like push yourself up and sort of jump in a way. Hmm. Um, it's tough to do that reliably. Um, I was watching you play and you were holding the mouse with both hands. I noticed <laughs> yeah, for a little while I was like, just well, cause there were a couple places where you're, where you're, you get to a point where you, you get a purchase that you've been trying to get for a while and then you <laughs> need to very carefully maneuver yourself. Cause you're, you're incredibly strong. And so you, if, if you have a pretty solid place for your, uh, hammer, you can then sort of very carefully rotate the mouse such that you are just sort of torquing your whole body around. Uh, and so you can do like a, almost a complete 360 over like a lip or something like that. There's like a couple places where there's just like a, a thing jutting out that you're trying to get up on top of. And it's, it's right. weird. I, like I definitely made some progress and got some amount of facility with the controls, but I couldn't 
describe to you in a couple of sentences how the mouse movements actually cause things to happen <laughs> to the hammer because you're not exactly moving the hammer and you're not exactly moving the guy you're applying force to the hammer as the guy yeah you and have, it kind of depends like on where it is and what circular angle cursor which is the direction that you're that, you're, that the hammer is pointing more or less and its proximity to you is the is like whether it's sort of in close to you or or extended at, at full arm's length um Early on, you can make a lot of progress just by sort of swinging in wide circles because it'll sort of just eventually you'll find a purchase and you'll swing yourself up over stuff. Um, but then the, the terrain gets more and more, um, I guess, aggressively difficult. And all the while that this is happening, while you're playing this, uh, Bennett Foddy is sort of commenting on your progress or your <laughs> lack of progress or the backwards progress that you will inevitably make when you knock yourself off the mountain and all the way back to the, the it, beginning. Is that actually voiced? Uh, I believe it yeah, is. I, it is never, yeah. I haven't listened to this. It yet. is. And it's just Bennett. It's just Bennett Excellent. saying the things that are, and it's, it's very, very good. Because he did yeah. that trailer, right, with sort of a rhyming exactly. verse thing in which he explains the concept of the game and that he made it for a particular kind of person to hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> So and it just it is it is incredibly amusing and you know eventually I'm sure that I will play it and get to the point where I'm just incredibly frustrated and angry but for the moment at least it's it's still funny enough when you you think you're about to make a great move and then you accidentally bump uh, the wrong direction and it just knocks you flying <laughs> off the off the hole but mouth. I assume there's generous checkpointing that would restore you to the last safe place right <laughs> the last safe place is always the bottom of it. <laughs> yep uh that would that would just destroy me. I think I I kind of uh, you know he said he made it for a particular kind of person, and I just knew in my bones that is not me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even if it wasn't for the the fact that you could fall off and lose all your progress, um, it did not look like my kind of thing. But that just seals the deal. I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> I, just, was, I was never able to make much progress with Quap. Uh, like I I spent probably a couple hours trying to like actually get running or whatever, but I just couldn't get more than like ten meters or whatever. And this is so much more approachable. That, like it's the controls are even more fundamentally simple, uh, and the physics is even more is like more. And it's much easier rockable. to make a couple of screens worth of progress that yeah. then tricks you into believing, oh, I I know how to play this now. I'm yep. I, I have any agency in the world. <laughs> yeah, it got to the point where I was able to reliably get up to like the first like switch back where you have to make some leftward progress and then immediately make some rightward progress which is surprisingly difficult in a confined space and because as got, you as you try and like flick the mouse to move the sledgehammer it's of course moving through all the intervening space right. so if there's anything to catch on there it's gonna yeah. fuck you just knocks you f from to and fro and then I got to a part that I just don't even understand how to make any progress <laughs> which is like a narrow channel that's sort of diagonal oh yeah I think I saw you playing that and then I was just like okay but maybe <laughs> one side of the head of it is something that will lodge in rock or something and maybe that's the trick that i didn't know it felt like the sound cues were were telling me that that thing was embedding uh, itself in rock and i wasn't listening to specifically any of rock oh right you didn't have uh, so that's interesting okay huh i'm speaking of dying and losing all your progress <laughs> let, let's just try for a transition um i played minute which okay. is by uh jw um and Kitty Callis, JW of Lambia. Hmm. Um, and it's a, uh, I think I'm right saying it's a two color game, like one bit color. And it's just white and black. 
Um, it's spelled M I N I T. Yes. Okay. But it it the concept of a minute, as in the time unit, is uh, is central to it. Um, and you uh, like start in a house, and you venture out of the house, and then there's some uh, you can go in various different directions in, in the outside world, and um, after a minute you die, and you are set back to the start, and everything in the world is reset except anything you've picked up. And it's the kind of game where you're not like picking up loot all the time or anything. It's there are specific items to find out in this world. So the first one is like you go one screen left and there's a sword and you pick up the sword. And now uh, when you wake up again, um, you have the sword still. And so now you can cut through bushes. And so this time I can go up. I couldn't go up before because that's sealed off by bushes. Now that I have a sword, I can go up. Um, and but there's a cave down there. And if I go in the cave, I can't see anything because I don't have a lantern. And so I try a different direction and eventually I find a lantern but you only have a minute and like uh i went far enough to get to like some kind of bar the fiction the setting of the game is intriguing <laughs> actually there's a brilliant gag early on where you go um uh, you this is right near the start so you're just figuring out this minute thing and the fact you're going to die at any time and about for me it was i spent about 30 seconds getting to the screen or um maybe 40 and i talked to an npc and he talks when you're in range um and it spells it out character by character um Jeez. And he is a turtle, and it takes him like 0.5 <laughs> seconds for every character. So he spells out every single thing. And if you move away from him, it stops. And then if you go back close, he starts from the beginning again. <laughs> and that happened like three times. And he's not even saying anything important. It's just like, oh, I like living by the sea. But he starts with, huh? Uh, oh, I didn't see you there. Well, I've been doing this. And it's, um, I overheard like, somebody literally complaining about that specific age. thing. Yeah, like- <laughs> Can you restart deliberately? Uh, yes. The, if you press B on the controller, it just kills you. Okay. You just kill yourself. That's kind because yeah. it's, if you um, want to explore in a different direction after finding a dead end, just like being able to do that without yeah. having to do it in fits and starts. The whole, I'm very anti-resetting and losing progress and stuff, and I so I wasn't sure. Uh, I knew from the concept of this game that like obviously they're trying to... Um, not suffer that problem like by the fact that you do make persistent progress and that's going to in theory the new items you get mean that you can quickly go to a new area that you couldn't go to before rather than having to tread through the same terrain and that actually did end up working for me i thought i was going to be annoyed about, about getting reset even with the new items but um uh it did feel quick to get back to where you needed to be and you often had new avenues to explore um but yeah i got to this bar and um the guy in there is saying, oh, I sure it would be nice if someone would do something about the five crabs outside. And so I've got a quest now, and oh. I've, I'm like 20 seconds on the clock. I'm about to die of old age. Um, I actually don't know why you die, whether it's like a disease or... I like to imagine it's just a creature who has a 60-second uh, lifespan, because um, that's kind of uh, funnier. <laughs> and so uh, I could only find three crabs in that life and then died. Um, and then... The rest of the time, as I was exploring, I was always on the lookout for, like, where are those last two crabs? And then only once I found those last two crabs, uh, like, on that life, it was too late to go back and get the first three, so I died. And um, then had to remember, like, where were the first three crabs? Where are the second two crabs from there? Can you do that before you go into the bar to talk yes. to the bartender? Yeah, okay. he only cares. In fact, if you've killed some of them, he'll go say, oh, boy, it sure is a shame someone won't do something about those two crabs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, yeah, when you complete that, you get coffee. I can't remember what coffee does, but <laughs> he gave me a cup of coffee and that was the you know, persistent but unlockable now, but item. that's now a thing that you have. Yeah. Interesting. I don't totally know what it did for me. but um, If you complete it a second time, do you get a second cup of coffee? That's an interesting thought, actually. 
Um, and, or would that even be meaningful? Oh my gosh, does it make you move faster? <laughs> that might make sense. As a consumable, though. Mm. That would be not... No, I, I think I the like time invested to kill the crabs would be too great for it to pay off if it, okay. was, a, if it was a one-time use Well, thing. but you'd have it for your next life, right? Like oh, if it like... A, the a, next a, life. Yeah. If you had to kill the crabs every other time, like do a prep run... Yeah, that, I could see somebody that would be kind of grinding kind of game. game and, uh, yeah, not to... but yeah, the concept works surprisingly well. I think it's really cool. Uh, it reminds me a little bit, this, just sort of vaguely, of Pitfall because it had Pitfall had that ten minute countdown timer, and you could go as far as you could make it in ten minutes, but then it was over, and there were two different directions that you could go, and it doesn't have any of the same sort of like unlocking and exploration mechanisms, which seems like the core of the game. But... Yeah. Did you ever make it to the time limit in Pitfall? No. Yeah, I never got anywhere near good enough at it to not get killed. Before. Do you remember um, Prince of Persia 1 had a 60-minute time limit on the whole game? Hmm. Like, you had no, to finish it in 60 minutes, or you just failed. Like, the game could only ever last an hour, even if you... Um, huh. Uh, at most and when you think about like debates about game length these days <laughs> it's yeah. worth remembering that classic retro game which is um uh i loved at the time um i don't know how it holds up it was literally a maximum of an hour long they wouldn't let you play more than an hour did you ever read that book that uh jordan mechner published that was his diary from the time that he was developing Prince no of i've heard of it though it's it's worth it's worth getting yeah uh, to, recommendation to you and to our listeners <laughs> Um, Do you guys play anything else? I played, uh, really speaking of Quop, I played a game called 10 Mississippi, which I don't remember. I saw uh, the woman, uh, Pop, Karina Pop, P-O-P-P, um, <clears throat> whose Twitter handle is just her first name misspelled and then Pop, which I think is pretty good. Um, I don't remember if she said it was like a student project or it's a, it's a so, sort yeah. of a small... It is a, it's in HTML5, I think. She made it in some JavaScript framework that I hadn't heard of. So one of the 9,000 JavaScript frameworks that exist. But it is essentially a photo, like a series of photos that you play through as kind of quick time events. And it's just like a fictionalized set of vignettes of of like just parts of her day and ten, you just go, go the 10 second chunks mm. of her day and you just go through and you just do various things and like you have to hit different keys in different orders and different frequencies to to accomplish different things and when you go for your morning jog you're hitting qwop which i'm assuming <laughs> is just like a joke hitting those in sequence and i only played through it once but i guess the point of it is that it every time you go through each part of it goes faster and faster and faster and then right. I mean, maybe then you're just dead is it, <laughs> is it like a jason roar style rumination on mortality um but it was it was good it was it, I, hearing her talk about it it was also like kind of deliberately meant to sort of uncomfortably put you not like the player is not the the player character in right. any sense at all, and very very deliberately so, and uncomfortably so, yeah, and almost like a weird voyeurism, yeah, and like just like exploring the notion of otherness, which is funny because that's the one thing that the author can't have. Like when they make the game, they can't ever experience right. They can't that. really play test for that. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I forget what else out of the set of. Uh, games that were in the festival thing that I did play. What, what else? Into did the you? Breach. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to ask both you've of you about talked that. You've talked about this a lot. I love uh, this on, game on and I had no one to talk to about it. It's <laughs> so good. Uh, I am I am 
definitely looking forward to this. Yeah, to come I out. am yeah. extremely excited about this. This uh, is the new game from Subset Games, who did FTL, yeah. and um, it is a isometric uh, turn-based strategy game where you control three mechs to defeat aliens. Um, and it, there are quite a few unusual things about how it works. A, there's a lot of things that I would have not expected to work well, but mm. it's, it's it's just super satisfying. Like that's a turn yeah. countdown. Yeah, I just assumed that was how many turns I had left to to win. Otherwise, I'm dead. Right. That is like every battle has a c- countdown to you winning. That expires, yep. you win, <laughs> which is bizarre. And it's like six turns. Yeah. So, uh, like you just have to survive that long, and there's. Um, Surviving is though harder. The, surviving is easier than like preventing the aliens from doing any damage, which is really your goal. Yeah. Like it turns out, the whole world has like four hit points at the beginning <laughs> of the game, and on every turn, uh, every alien unit threatens to do one hit point worth of damage, and it is way more about manipulating the battlefield to prevent them from damaging buildings and stuff yeah. than it is about you know just trying to 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 clean up. I would like to nominate the buildings as my favorite NPC in any game <laughs> because they will, um, little speech bubbles come out of them when like, yeah. even when you just arrive, they're like, yeah. they're here, we're saved. And then when you kill something, they're like, they killed it. <laughs> um, so it, it's interesting. Well, this is, this is yours. Oh, okay. I mean, so the, there are, it's, it's got this kind of interesting frame story, which is that you're going back in time over and over and over again to, to try to save humanity because oh, we could have segued for a minute yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, where you've uh, where you've screwed up in the past and been, been unable and to repeating do the same thing over and over again would have been a good 10 Mississippi segue too yeah <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't do these at all and <laughs> I don't know why anyone wants to do them ever it's never of any benefit it to makes the you listener feel cl- it makes you feel clever <laughs> Yeah, sorry. So if nothing else, listeners love hearing about the thought processes. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what that's about favorite segues. thing. Everything's better than like good segues and bad segues is people talking about segues. Uh, Speaking of which, yeah. So you have you have a squad of of three mechs that you're controlling, uh, and there are different squads which have different capabilities, um, but the 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 possibility space is relatively constrained and the battlefields are really small. They're maybe eight by eight grids. Uh, they might yep. have come in different eight. sizes. Which uh, is the same later. as chess, right? Yes. Uh, but they're procedurally generated. Uh, so it's always going to be different every time you play. Um, and they are, uh, they have just a bunch of sort of very basic systems sort of things going on. So like there are, are, plain squares where there's just nothing special that happens on them but there's forest squares which when that square takes any damage uh, for any reason it lights on fire and then that becomes a persistent effect on the battlefield that can be used to your advantage or can be uh, something that that uh, can harm you um and similarly there's other things like tidal uh tidal waves or whatever that are coming in and flooding tiles and um there's water tiles where if you can push another uh, one of the aliens into the water and it's not a flying unit then it will drown and so you can just instantly kill things um you can uh one of the kind of attack types is uh there's like acid and there's fire and there's freeze and when you freeze something it's encased in a block of ice yeah and if a flying enemy is over like a chasm it's oh. fine but if you freeze it it falls that's which great, is great. <laughs> um I- importantly Nothing can take damage during the enemy's turn, really. Like, the enemy will plan its moves, and then you will see exactly what's gonna happen. You'll, it, it calls out which buildings are threatened, which of your mechs are gonna take damage, like, exactly what the enemy is gonna do when their turn starts. And then you have your turn to 
figure out how to prevent that damage from happening or mitigate it, like transfer damage from buildings to your mechs because your mechs can be repaired between missions and buildings. The buildings are your extremely small number of hit points for the entire game. Yep. Uh, because once the in in the fiction, once the aliens destroy enough of the power grid, humanity is just helpless to resist them, and the power grid is distributed throughout office yeah. buildings in various <laughs> just, spots. It's actually the um, uh, Tesla solar cell thing. Like everyone has one of those super batteries mm, in their home, okay. and that's where it all comes from. And they're very low on power, I guess. I guess it's like the, everyone has one; they can only lo- afford to lose five. Like they're only five over capacity, and yeah, because most of the Earth has been destroyed at this point. Yeah, and this is, these are the, the remaining humans. Um, it's each each round becomes a sort of very interesting, tightly constrained puzzle, and the, they've done an, just an incredible job with the game balance, such that you you feel like you are always making really interesting choices, even on the first couple of levels. You sp- I spent I found myself spending a lot of time thinking about each move because it, even though I knew it was procedurally generated, and especially on subsequent turns, even though I knew that the state of the board was potentially based on bad decisions that I had made previously. It always feels like, oh man, there's gotta be a way for me with the moves that I have to actually completely solve this problem. I just have to find it. And it's like, I'm weirdly just inclined to trust the, in reality, absent intent of the developer <laughs> in having designed this puzzle because the space is so constrained and the things are so uh, coarse-grained that it feels like a well-constructed puzzle, even though it is an emergent yeah. set of things on the board. There are uh, a lot of my favorite moments have come from turns where I look at the board and I'm like, oh God, this is like terrible. And I look at it for like a minute more and I'm like, yeah, this actually can't be done. There's no way I can avoid taking building damage. And then like three minutes later, I'm like, Unless, <laughs> if I shoot my own mech, yeah. it would propel him forward one square, and then he's in range, not of the enemy he needs to take out, but of a different thing that he can like then fire an, uh, an artillery shell at an empty square, but the push damage surrounding that will knock this one into the fire, and although he'll still be alive and still be targeting now an even more critical building, the fire damage is going to happen before his attack, so it will kill him, because he's only he's actually on two health, but later we're going to kill this other enemy that's giving him that bonus health, so he'll only burn one health, then the fire damage will kill him, and he won't get to do his attack. <laughs> that's very, very good. And you have all the information at the start. There's nothing. There's nothing random... Beyond the procedural generation of the level, there's nothing random in the in the fights themselves. It's just it's so so solid, and yeah. it feels like a game that, like FTL, I'm probably going to mostly play on an easy mode if they add one, uh, just so that I'll be able to have more fun. I with thought the there systems. was one actually. Oh, was there? Uh, I mean, you've probably played a very different version of it than was being demoed at. Yeah, I played. Um, I played a lot of it, and I've had like two spells of becoming completely in love with this game and playing it for like 20 hours uh, and then kind of you know after 20 hours like okay i've probably had enough an hour and i stopped playing and then like but it's updated now <laughs> and then i go back and and uh, go over it. the squads of um uh there's like eight of them isn't there i think so the selections and, and then you unlock some through play yeah i mean that feels like ftl right like the the fact that the different ships in ftl play so so differently and also yeah. that you could play for hours and hours and hours without even unlocking one it's for whatever reason i never got into the ships in ftl i um i would try them and it just seems like oh this is eight times harder than the game i just played mm. and i was, i enjoyed the game i just played it was about the right difficulty level whereas in into the breach they 
they all are for me harder than the default squad the default squad is the one that just does a lot of damage and that's pretty and it, useful it also has a lot of push but, like it's it's damage yeah and damage push. and push are the and two, two very sort of straightforward verbs yeah there are other the squads. others are sort of more technical one of them is in like the inferno squad is it the inferno squad or the flame squad or whatever oh, um, and they have almost no direct damage like there's wow. one of your units can do one damage and if the unit is on fire they'll take two damage and so all the rest of it is just setting fire to shit and Jeez. setting fire to shit does no damage initially and then at and the also start, doesn't move things right? yeah it doesn't move anything at the start of the enemy turn they'll take one damage from the fire and uh you are immune to the fire as the flame squad um but you are building up this like stock of fire because anything that can burn will burn any tile you set fire to just stays on fire forever it will always burn and anything that ever moves there will be set permanently on fire nothing can ever I think a, a massive unit that's on fire if it moved into water would put itself out but other than that everything once it's on fire that unit will die you don't have to do anything else to it it's going to die but and you have to prevent it from doing damage in the meantime exactly that's, so that's the first tricky. turns are the worst like the second turn is the worst because the first turn there's only a few enemies you set fire to them all second turn three more enemies show up and you haven't killed any of the first three so now you've just got six enemies all of whom are active and they can threaten loads of things so it's just the, there's this hump to get over and if you get over that things start dying and this like this stacked damage that you've uh, built up just burns everything and it has this really satisfying rhythm to it and they've done that for like all of these eight squads like each one has its own rhythm and its own feel to it um some but nothing them, else changes about the world generation nope. rules that's mm, man yeah it's a tough balancing act do you have any sense of when this game is supposed to come out? No, I don't know. I keep telling them, this is done. Just put- <laughs> This is already better than anything else that's going to come out this year. Just <laughs> Hey. <laughs> Wait until next year but to say that. It's going to come out this year. Oh, okay. We're safe. Yeah. Do you see any talks that were interesting to you? Um, yes. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I need time to remember what they were. Excellent I segue. I about uh, I, oh, I did. I'm happy to. I'm happy to talk about the one. Um, so uh, there was a talk by uh, Stephen, the Catamites. Gill something, uh, the Catamites, um, about a game that he had in the festival called Ten Beautiful Postcards, and he also, uh, you you might recall, made that magic wand game that we did as an assignment that I couldn't stand, and. Um, uh, after hearing him give this talk about just his approach to making games and his feelings about games in general, I've gone from not liking all of his stuff to like just a hundred percent on board with what he is doing. And I will absolutely just buy everything that comes out. Like I kind of want to just go to itch and pay the maximum for everything that he has for sale. Wow. I need to watch this talk and take some notes. Well, I don't know. It didn't like, I don't, it wasn't exactly like an Andrew WK moment where I was super bought in and Kevin was just like, whatever, fuck this. But I like, I appreciated a lot of the early sort of setup stuff, but then I, I don't know. Like, he talks a lot about how he he makes the games and just sort of puts things in arbitrary places for no particular reason, and that I I don't understand how how that works as a person. He he talked in the beginning about growing up in yeah. Ireland and his experience of video games, just period, being as like 
a weird kind of alien thing that he had very limited access to. Mm-hmm. And he, he described... He felt like he was seeing these like artifacts of something that was much larger. Like he would see a Mario... Yeah, he thought that Super Mario Brothers was like a licensed game of like a cartoon that they just <laughs> didn't have in Ireland or something. Some right. like that it was a reflection of some larger thing that he was seeing on the wall of some sort of allegorical cave yeah, and trying was, to trying to make sense of it. That's such a fascinating like and that I kind of love that the notion that you're that everything that you're seeing is just the tip of a of an iceberg that you can't perceive. And you're, you spend all this time wondering, like, what, what must the world be like that these are the sort of artifacts that you're, you're, you know, that are dripping down to you. And then, I, like, the disappointment that you must feel when you, like, realize, oh, no, this was the, this was the core of it. Like, that's got to be world shattering. But then the way that he d- deals with that disappointment is just to, to make stuff by challenging even the most basic assumptions about things like, like, I feel like at this point, if I learned that Oikospiel was made by him, I would suddenly go back and try to spend <laughs> six hours plumbing the depths of Oikospiel. Things like the assumption that the camera should follow the player in a predictable <laughs> way are things that, like, you know, nobody challenges this. And, like, probably, honestly, there's a good reason for that uh, because genuinely a lot of what this guy makes is pretty garbage looking and feeling to play. He. His response to the fact that most writing in video games is bad is to just think of the writing in his games as something that the player should not read. <laughs> and the, he... And then he, so he fills his games with writing that is... <laughs> just, like, textural. Yeah. But the thing is, when you play his game, like, the one thing that I actually really did like about Magic Wand was that... A lot of the characters in it, and this is this is a thing that the only other time I've really gotten this specific feeling is from playing some of the Kitty Horror Show stuff out of out of uh, their Patreon. But a lot of the stuff that the characters in Steven's games say is really funny. <laughs> but like, a lot he's, of it is also he's very funny. Like he's very like sardonic and yeah, but but also very soft spoken, and you wouldn't know right. that necessarily. And so and has what is to me a. a like nigh impenetrable accent um and also to speaks pretty quietly but yeah his his talk i can definitely recommend like i mean i recommend watching all of the fantastic arcade talks but dig into that one because it he he described how he wants the writing that he does for his games to be as close as possible to automatic writing like he just does not want to he does not want to be thinking about it like he just literally wants the noise in his brain to come out as text on the screen, watching him wander around the spaces that he's created in this postcards game. And this was a lot easier to navigate. It looks like than magic wand was because it is all, it's all 2d. Um, You're wondering over what looks like a building scape, but you can just, there's no collision on, there's no collision on anything. Like it's, it is a 3D camera and stuff is seemingly just randomly sorted in Z space or randomly placed in Z space. But there's always like the same shitty MS paint door that leads you to whatever the next section of the game is. Except for like weird interactive things like the, the freezer. So sometimes, sometimes there are things that will take you into what he just, what is just an abandoned prototype that he puts in as one of the hotels that you can go into in this game. But 
hearing him wander around this space and describe it, and this is this is meant to in no way to disparage him. It was like listening to a child. If you ever like overhear a child by themselves making up <laughs> stories about the stuff that's happening in the picture that they're drawing or the things that are happening with the the action figures from a variety of different sources that they're playing with when it is just just chaos like when the child is too young to like care whether oh, wouldn't it be weird if these Star Wars guys met these My Little Pony guys? And, like, what would that actually mean? But it just, like, he was just wandering around these spaces. And I, well, okay, now, of course, this is where the mice live. And, like, these mice, they're, they're like, luxury mice. So these ones over here, like, they've got all these really nice rugs that they've stolen from. And then he, like, tabs over to the prototype where he's like, oh, yeah, I had this prototype of this game, which didn't amount to anything, but this is where I got this rug from. <laughs> and the rug is literally just an MS Paint, like, circle with the couple extra <laughs> circles that are filled in. And th- then, like, just goes back to, like, talking about, like, you know, and yeah, so these, these mice just run this rug shop here. And anyway, and then just, like, goes out another door into some uh, com- completely just disconnected. Just th- the idea that... <laughs> His games are like an assault on the idea of game design <laughs> rather than just badly designed games and that they are just these stream of consciousness things. Because it, what it allowed me to kind of feel personally about them is that, okay, there is a spectrum that our games, like Kingdom of Loathing more so, uh, because it's sort of more because we didn't know what we were doing as much more sort of the kind of DIY punk rock thing, less so West of Loathing and I don't know, Firewatch or whatever, right? There's like video game, there's high production value thing on one end. There's us in the middle, but I never really understood what was on the other end of the spectrum. And I think it's this because our rea- our response to writing and video games being bad was like, hey, what if we made one where the writing was good and just everywhere that there's any writing, we try to make it funny and we try to make it high quality. You know, we also tend to write stuff into the game and then never edit our first draft. Like the first, like it, it is, it is a, we are loose enough with the narrative stuff and, and embrace the absurdity of the setting Basically, because it allows us to put whatever in and whatever we put in fits, we maintain a certain level of visual fidelity on it now more so than before. He doesn't. Like, we want all of the writing to be funny. He just wants it to be whatever came out of his head. Like, ah, man, I... I, I like I love that dude, and I love his games now <laughs> after seeing that talk, and I, man... I don't know. Maybe maybe nobody else will watch the talk and uh, have experience. It's pretty funny. Uh, afterwards, when the floor opened up for questions and no one said anything, Adam Saltzman was like, "Yeah, I mean, it was pretty straightforward. <laughs> I guess <laughs> just like the most nonsense that had been presented there." And that is by the standards of fantastic arcade talks, which are. I mean, I think I told this story on Video Games Hot Dog last year, but when I when they asked me if I would do a talk when West of Loathing was in the thing, I said, well, what does it need to be? And he said, ah, just Wiley, who, who was one of the people that organizes it, said, ah, just play your game for 15 minutes and talk about it. And then the day before I did the talk, he sent me an email that was like, could you do 30 minutes instead? And then 10 minutes before the talk, he was like, actually, could you do an hour? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that explains why all of the other talks have been the way that they are. This year, uh, they just said to me... Um, uh, 
yeah just as long as you like like you know probably an hour max but if you want to do less that's fine it was just like do whatever and that is great but also uh i just i think i ended up floundering at one point because i kind of need the time constraint to keep me focused and so i focused on something and then i I had more time so i just kind of meandered onto something else and i also had almost no questions um and i think that that tells you you've either left everyone behind or you've brought everyone perfectly with you (laughs) (laughs) it's one extreme or the other um did you think of the talks that you liked yeah so uh uh one that was it's a game that i have didn't get a chance to play but um uh genesis noir uh is a game with a concept that just uh has to be um at least uh, heard in in principle which is that it is a they describe it as a, a game in which you're trying to stop the big bang to save a god but actually yeah. as the talk went on it became clear that that is contextualized within a sort of noir um scene in which the person you love um is being shot and the bullet uh the explosion that propels the bullet is the big bang and so you need to go inside the big bang and stop it from the inside in order to stop the bullet to save the person you love in this other meta narrative and it's made by some um people whose training is in uh kind of animation and uh what is the word for it like uh, it's a word that means basically sort of very dynamic animations motion graphics yes um and it's uh it is the line the outline shape of the thing um you're looking at uh, smoothly transforms and distorts into the shape of the next thing they want to show you and they use that for all kinds of really cinematic techniques um, but of course in a way that like actual uh, live action cinema could never do because you, they distort the fabric of their reality to reshape it into the next thing and um, there's a scene where like you just have to dial a number on a phone I, my best guess is that this just this whole thing just unfolds in two completely different narratives like one is the big bang thing and one is the noir thing and uh like two different very different time scales or something yeah like i don't think they're like ever gonna try and explain universe. why one fits into the other uh i think it's gonna be because the, the scene um uh, they showed was like you're dialing a rotary phone the rotary phone is just drawn full size across the whole screen and behind it is your apartment in which you're sitting to dial this phone and then you you know put your, uh, you click on one of the slots and drag it round. as you drag it round, the rotation of the dial is used as the input magnitude for a distortion effect that then picks up everything in your apartment and just hurls it around in a kind of whirlwind that destroys your life basically so it's symbolizing that the call you're making is ripping your life apart but they're doing it in that incredibly like uh fluid and and um i just love the the fact that it maps onto the motion you know the, the fact that how far you turn the dial is just is determining how much your your life is ripped apart with this incredible <laughs> it makes effect. me wonder how many of those they've got in their pocket for- <laughs> yeah they also um uh, talked about their process which is kind of mind-blowing which is they want they're in unreal engine and they want vector graphics to do this stuff it has to be perfectly smooth it has to be perfectly um i mean you could do it at sprites but they said it would just be like um, a mega as frame for like three hours of animation which would just be completely impractical um so they need vector graphics but uh they went through reasons why a whole bunch of existing solutions didn't work for unreal and so the way it actually works is they make it in flash and then uh within unreal you can run a chrome browser like on a wall <laughs> and the chrome browser is running the flash file 
<laughs> and so they make like an object in in the 3d space of unreal that object's texture that gets replaced with the chrome browser the chrome browser loads the <laughs> file and that makes a smooth line thing which is just kind of mind-blowing there's a, there are a lot of talks actually from um people uh whose background is outside of games and they're coming into games and doing things that you know uh people with a games background are not doing and this is definitely one of them. Like Tool this kind of are so bizarre and fascinating. Just like what people are doing. Yeah, that that, and then you see their workflows, and you're like, oh my god, this is why no one in games is doing this. <laughs> this sounds like hell. Um, but yeah, this uh, this particular kind of animation, I think I I was familiar with it. Like I'd, I'd you know seen it around, but it never occurred to me that that's a thing that games have never done. I've never seen that that kind of. Um, uh, it's not just kind of morphing. It's like the lines actually become the new lines. You know? Yeah, I feel like it's a thing you would see more often, like um, like title sequences to films. Or yeah, something. yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's used a really beautiful effect here. It was interesting how often Flash comes up in these talks. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's you know I don't know, <clears throat> Fantastic Arcade feels more like the kind of art scene side of games than it does like I don't know whatever whatever particular sub orbit of the games industry I'm normally exposed to um, well because I feel like there's like sort of mainstream indies that are trying to make things that have commercial appeal because they want to hopefully make some money and I feel like a lot of the games that they curate towards in fantastic arcade are games that won't probably ever have any commercial appeal but have some interesting sort of take on something something interesting to say as a as a work and and not like because there are some amazing like we we saw below um was Mm. one of the talks that i that i went to and it was there was not much of the much content to the talk it was mostly literally him just playing the game for an hour but it was Gorgeous! The game is so beautiful. It's a, I think it's Cappy Games. Um, they did like he was Super Time Force. Yeah, and um, I think uh, Swords and Sorcery. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And like Jim Guthrie did the soundtrack for it, and that's it's just that's just haunting. And it has I love things with tiny characters. Yeah, this is probably it, apparent from my two games with tiny characters. It is, it is like we were watching it on a giant movie screen and the character still seems small <laughs> and i was like this is going to be crazy on a monitor what uh, what kind of game is it it is a roguelike it's there are like authored sort of set piece sections like the beginning is is a uh, sort of the same every time you play uh, but then you get down into sort of a procedurally generated cave area and then there are sort of interstitial areas that are authored um and the monsters, the sort of the enemies that you encounter are strange. Um, I, I like it, it seems like there might be a mystery that unfolds over the course of the game. That was the sense that I got, but it was not clear at the beginning, um, just in the first hour of gameplay, what exactly was going on. The monsters are composed of these little gems um, that uh, when you they, they act kind of like hit points as you as you hit them. Uh, they become inanimate and you can pick them up and they, they mm. seem to be some sort of currency for unlocking further areas in the game. Um, but then some of them get elongated and become shields and some of them become swords that the enemies have. But they're really abstract shapes sort of floating around. Um, it's it's just like I don't really know if this, if this is their final form or if this is uh, sort of a, an interstitial 
thing that they're working through. I, I don't know what what it's going to look like in the end, but it was it, it all came together as a sort of a beautiful whole um, in its current shape. Wow. I, I think I keep mixing it up with Crawl because oh. Crawl, the characters in Crawl look like Super Brothers right. <laughs> sprites. And also, it's a single word that you can kind of associate with being in a dungeon or whatever, but it's also just a normal word. Um, I uh, played a bit below, and I uh, did poorly enough that I was not able to get below anything. <laughs> yeah, you could I probably die. You could probably die on this. I never died. Area. I couldn't even find anything that was a threat to me. I, oh, it was. Okay. It's very. It's wordless, and. It's not wordless in the way that, like, Limbo is wordless, uh, or Inside, um, another one-word game, <laughs> um, uh, where they keep working at it until it doesn't need any text. There's nothing to explain. It's just obvious how it works, and um, as soon as you press a button, you're immediately like, oh, this is how this is what I'm doing. And this is... There's a huge amount of information you need, and it was not going to tell you any of it, and you yeah. just... You roam around alone in this, like, uh, for me, kind rainy, like, more. Yeah. And I found four fishes and a bottle of water and then fumbled with a crafting system for like 10 minutes before I figured out like you can't combine two things you have to have like five things yeah. and so I had to combine four fishes with a bottle of water and that made a stew, stew. <laughs> what's the other game that's very stylish like that that came out after a while that uh, oh man it was really anticipated it's very like Dark Souls oh combat. future unfolding no that's also another wordless one where there's there's a lot of information but it doesn't tell you any of it that's th- that's what I'm that's what I'm reacting to shit I can't think of the name of it 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 was like hotly anticipated it's been at IndieCades for a few years was it like a year ago yeah uh, Hyperlight Drifter Hyperlight Drifter oh yeah yeah that, I definitely got that sense from Hyperlight Drifter which also those characters kind of look like that style sure. like, <laughs> very stylish tall, uh, tall pixels also yeah. its title is just a sim- simple single <laughs> proposition <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, it seemed like there was a lot going on there that it wasn't telling you about because it just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. But, so I didn't really get far enough of the blow to sort of know how I feel about like it's combat or anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm not played it. It looks like it's probably very difficult. Yeah. The, that has been a long time in development, right? Yeah. Uh, he was saying that he has played he the, I forget who was speaking on behalf of Cappy Games or whatever, but uh, he was saying that he has played this game more than he's played any other, and he spent 400 hours playing Zelda. So, uh, he's, Isn't that just true for all of us? Like, haven't we all played our own games more than almost anything else? I don't know if that's true. Like, yeah, I would, I would not say that. I, like, I mean, Steam says I haven't, but that's because it wasn't on Steam for the first sure. 4,000 hours of working on it. Right. But do you consider like just running around a space to see if the thing that you just put there looks right playing? Uh, I run do. for this. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, then yes, running the game. Sure. Yeah. <coughs> Playing. I, I've for- certainly launched my games more times than any other game. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, there weren't exactly talks, uh, but I got to uh, play a couple games in the context of uh, tournaments, which I, I didn't yeah. participate in any of those when I was here last year. Uh, and that was kind of fun. It was you know, kind of fun because we crushed everybody. Well, there, there was that. <laughs> uh, we played a game that was made for uh, Play NYC. It was a 5v5 animal, like sort of cute animal avatar soccer game called Forest Cup. Mm. Uh, and there were they couldn't get all five controllers working, so it was 4v4 with one, or 5v5 but with uh, four human players and one computer player on each team, which uh, halfway through the tournament, uh, people had sort of discovered an exploit, which was to let... Uh, 
the 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 uh a sheep the sheep named Maisie. Yeah. Uh, if you just left that as the computer player, it was just so much better than any anyone else that it it was just constantly scoring goals. And so, um, by the time we we won our first game, we were the first people first team up, and we didn't we didn't use that. But then three more matches happened, and and in all of them, Maisie yeah, just dominated. And so in our first game, I played as Maisie, yeah, and I, which meant the CPU did not play as Maisie, and I scored a couple of goals, and I felt pretty good about myself. You are our top scorer, and I was like maybe second, um, and or maybe third actually, but uh, of a team of four, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, and the goalie was the other one. <laughs> <laughs> But still, I felt good about my performance and thought, yeah, I did pretty well as that Maisie character. I got a couple of goals. I'm pretty good. And then for the rest of the tournament, if the AI, you just don't play as Maisie, then you, Maisie is the incredible MVP of every single match. And yeah. I realized like, wow, I really tanked that for our team. We still won. <laughs> but like, uh, if I had just, if I'd literally just quit out of the game, we would have scored like twice <laughs> as many goals. <laughs> you guys won some nano blocks. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, we, as a prize, we got some, some like knockoff baby Legos or not the opposite, the opposite of baby Legos because baby Legos are like large duplex. Yeah, Ironically, these are tiny, larger. tiny Legos. Yeah. <laughs> these, are just, these are just very young Legos. Yeah. <laughs> Tom assembled a duck, which then earlier today, Victor turned, converted into a goose using some parts of the other system. Okay. I noticed my duck was missing. And then ga- we gave it to the goose game people. I could only mm-hmm. find the, um, uh, the duckling that you made, but her legs have been removed. Yeah. <laughs> That was to make a horrifying larger beak on the, uh, on the goose. Yeah. I'm glad my work went to a good home. Yeah. It became a little trophy for the, what, house house? Is that the goose game people? Um, and and then played Jar Wars, which is a 2v2 VR game. So you have to have, if if you're going to play it in a local space, you have to have four vibes and, Four lighthouses. Is this and, and ever going to be played again? <laughs> well, so I think I mean I think the idea would be that to do it over the network, right? So you could play with people in different spaces, um, which would probably actually be preferable because the idea of having a larger like if I if I had a VR room, I would want it to be large enough that I could like, yeah. walk around in. And I'd also like I I have not spent a ton of time in VR, but it seems like you really want to have some sort of system where the wires are not at your feet. Yep. That would be ideal. Um, because it is that I kept, I was continually stepping on them and feeling like I was going to rip yeah. this headset off my head and, or break something. And it just, that was very distracting. Um, but you play as a, you're playing as a jar and sorry, a brain in a jar, uh, with two little robot arms and you, uh, pick up some weapons and they have sort of melee weapons and they have guns and you are, you and your teammate are trying to destroy the other, uh, teams uh, brains and jars and your health is indicated by the amount of fluid in your jar um, and so one of the ways you can restore health by going and grabbing a bottle of water and like pouring it on your head uh, which is cute um, and they just have a bunch of funny weapon systems and, and interactions and it was it was kind of it was a lot of fun i like what what were your favorite weapons to use as a brain in a jar? Well, so the they they have uh, like shields and swords and you can like theoretically you can knock bullets with the sword but i was nowhere near that <laughs> skill level so i uh, i mostly was picking up pistols uh or revolvers and they had um like a machine gun that would sometimes spawn you could grab that um and so the, y- y- it's tough because y- y- everyone who started the first game that they played was completely no one had played the game before so no like, it was like everyone was a complete novice and then by the time the the tournament rolled around and the, like the semifinals, you're, you're no, it's your second, play, you know, second time playing, and your finals is the last time playing. And each time you get a little bit better, but it's still not enough to feel like you have any kind of mastery over it. 
Um, so I was still just having trouble with the, the basic controls of just like dropping things and picking things up. And, um, yeah, I don't like, I, it's a thing where you'd want to spend like an hour just sort of playing with it before you'd actually play it with a human. I think if you were, if you're competitive at all, uh, at least everybody was in the same boat. Sure. Sure. And you won and got a cool trophy. That's true. I did. (laughs) I did get a cool trophy. Um, trying to think if there were any other little games i played some of the cabinet games that they have um so in addition to the pcs fantastic arcade commissions a handful of games like half a dozen games and then builds little arcade cabinets for those and sort of peppers them around um and so um trying to remember there was the was, sorry stakes I, are too high as well right. sorry but you were gonna say uh, was Lauren Schmidt's uh, music thingy, your sort of noise, yes. cellular automata thing there? Yeah, so that was, like, uh, Lauren Schmidt made three games, or three uh, projects that were all sort of part of the same thing, and you could select which one you wanted to uh, play out of that. And the, and the sort of most gamey-like one was um, Panic Variations, I think was the name of it. Right. But uh, uh, was the... The, the one that makes the, the noise. Yeah, the noise thing. That, that, if you go up to that cabinet, you can select which one. The, the top menu right. is, the, is selecting one of the Because that things. was, um, uh, she explained that in a talk, and uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's cellular automata is where you, like, you have a grid and some cells are filled in, and then there's a set of rules that say any cell that's filled in fills in everything around it and then unfills itself, and then you do want another generation, and that changes, and then obviously those new f- filled in cells obey those same rules. And this, uh, it seems like it sort of randomly picks a bunch of rules, right? There's a little icons on the bottom. That's, I don't know. Yeah, that's, I was I was really, oh, is that what those icons meant? Yeah, I assumed like that. Okay. Like one of those would be, oh, a filled-in cell gets another filled-in cell on the right, and another one would be like, a filled-in cell becomes unfilled. Or um, There was no explanation of that. It's just like a bunch of yeah. icons, and those would change over time. But uh, it runs that for generation, and that creates like a line of cells, and then it makes another line of cells, and it makes another line of cells, and then those rules are morphing over time. And every filled-in cell... Uh, that whole line is basically a kind of scale of pitch. And so filled-in cells towards the left would make a low noise and filled-in cells towards the t- oh, top would make a high noise. This makes so much more sense now that you're and describing so, it to me. <laughs> <laughs> if you had, if the cellular automata had somehow uh, generated a thing where just the left half was black, you'd hear like a low tone. If it's um, a whole load of dots, you'll sometimes hear kind of like a, a more kind of coarse tone in that area. And if it's alternating with the lines, like sometimes up, sometimes low, sometimes high, you'd hear this alternating pitch. And uh, it's just visually, it's a really cool thing to look at. And um, then sort of reverse engineering in your head, like, oh, how does that pattern that I'm seeing relate to that sound I just heard? And the sound is kind of discordant and sometimes horrific because it will it'll be tuneful at times and then it's just like a cellular automata has changed or it's just got to a generation where it's all black and now it just goes, <laughs> and it's horrific. What's, what's that one called? I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the... It's, it's a single short word or something. Is it right? Recall. Inside there was <laughs> above. Crawl. Yeah, <laughs> oh, crawl's good. Actually. Kind of Drifter. is a grifter. <laughs> um, while I was watching uh, it on stage, it generated a pattern that I was really fascinated by, and I uh, could not figure out what the rules would be. That it was basically it would have been a working maze. Um, every line of cells was spaced one thing apart so that there would be a path between them and then they would loop around and kind of go zigzag back and forth across the screen so that you could walk through the entire thing if you wanted but also that the kind of larger shape that those zigzags were filling was uh, a triangle and the other part of the triangle is a mutually 
closed off other maze and then there'd be sub triangles within that almost like fractals and it's like I don't know how wow, you amazing. generate that <laughs> yeah the, at the, there was one point at the very end of the demo there was a little capstone that looked like a little village and I don't know if that was just just random noise that I was just ascribing meaning <laughs> to but it looked like little houses and trees god maybe it's a desert golfing thing where you sort of like it seems generated <laughs> yeah. but then there's just a few things that the designer has put but in. I think, yeah, I think Kevin I thinks everything looks like a village I do think it's it was <laughs> uh, but I think I understand now how it works I, like I was confused so when no input is is happening on that particular tool it's just a bunch of every now and then there'll be occasional random dots and I think there's like a random seed to, to occasionally because otherwise you don't have anything to to start the the generation from so i think yeah. every now and then it will just generate one but that also allows it to change up if the rules change if it's got like a, a, a solid fill then sometimes one of them will be gone and then maybe it'll dissipate in this in an interesting way yeah um, and so now i understand what i was seeing because i just couldn't figure out how it was doing anything you could have meta rules where if a line is more than uh, 60% filled then the third rule gets removed and replaced yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that, that was in retrospect I'm now I want to go back and play with that because I now that I feel like I have a, a like I can begin to grok what's going on I the, yeah I was, the rules could be determined by a secondary cellular automata that was yeah. running in a smaller window <laughs> that, that those rows were the rules about neighbors and reproduction the lauren used also used um cellular automata to do some of the like graphical glitchy looking effects in strawberry fields which we played strawberry, strawberry cubes cube. strawberry cubes sorry strawberry <laughs> cubes that we played as an assignment i thought it was called yeah. strawberry fields forever but then i remembered it was <laughs> called strawberry cubes um yeah and the panic variations is it, it is a game that I, I, when put on the screen i was immediately like oh that reminds me of load runner and lauren was like yes this is this is from you know very similar to load runner which was a game that i enjoyed a lot um but then went on to talk a lot about how it was representative of like like the how your work is not really valued and you are I forget ex- I forget exactly what the explanations were, and then I tried to I, I tried to actually see any of that in the game, and I can kind of understand where it's coming from, but I would have never gotten there without going to a talk hmm. by the creator. Right, and I and I wondered I wondered whether that was something that was supposed to be fathomable, or whether it was just the starting point, and then it's up to the the player to bring their own interpretation to it, regardless of what they see. So. Did you play any Hypnospace Outlaw? I did not. <clears throat> I didn't either, but we watched Jay. Uh, I think he pronounced his name Tolan. Okay. So I'm going to obey the GIF rule and say <laughs> that that's the right way to say it. Okay. Um, uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, I, I now understand more about what uh, what the game is, and it seems, it seems real good. Um, it's about a weird sort of alternate history 90s internet that is delivered to people while they're asleep via a, like a telepathy peripheral that you put on um, and you're in the fiction you're only allowed to edit your web pages while you're awake but everybody's browsing them while they're asleep and you are a volunteer moderator uh, trying to like deal with IP infringement claims and uh, violence, a, a violence uh, stuff and yeah, to protect people because um because the pages can't be edited at night. Yeah. <laughs> it seems real good. It's got a very particular aesthetic from a certain era of the internet. Yeah. It was very familiar to me. And um, 
I like. I don't think um, he mentioned this as an inspiration, but for me, those days were CompuServe. Mm. Like probably in America, everyone was on AOL, and they all had their own like closed ecosystem, and like it's not the real internet; it's their own little thing. But it's also community driven, and uh, yeah, that like that walled garden feel, but still kind of wild and and nuts was well captured, and also just the look of everything is so yeah, it's very GeoCities. Yeah, uh, GeoCities. once once you get out into the internet at large, um, RIP GeoCities. <laughs> Pour out a bad animated GIF of a beer bottle. <laughs> Looping, yeah, t- yeah, 64 color. Thing. I'm trying to think if there were any other talks I saw or games I played. I played a bit of um, Blind Drive, which is a game where you are blind and driving. You're blindfolded, in fact, you're not actually blind. Um, and it's just uh, a case of. Uh, you have to play with headphones and you need to be able to hear which side an oncoming car is coming. You just hear an oncoming car and as soon as you know which side it is, you veer to the other side, obviously. Um, and Unless you've been, it's a bicycle. Uh, yeah. Eventually they well, start. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get sort of duped. Actually, did you get duped into, into hitting the bicycle the first well, that, time? That's a question. I, I didn't play it. I, just I watched didn't play it. Yeah, we, watched so. a talk, we watched a talk by the guys that made it describing it. It's yeah. I think hope this is early on enough. I think that it's not too much of a, a spoiler. But um, uh, you're trying to avoid these cars, and then the person in your ear says, um, "You've." Uh, I got the impression you've either been kidnapped or you're sort of you're trying to fulfill your end of, of a bargain or something. Your like gra- your grandmother's been kidnapped. Okay, um, or they're holding her hostage in her house or something. And so you have to do whatever the voice in your ear tells you. And being blindfolded and driving is is part of that. And um, then. Uh, he tells you to um, you've been ma- making your own decisions about where to steer and then he sa- tells you um, oh this thing's coming steer left steer left and I think my brain had got as far as as thinking I think this is in my left ear and I should steer right but um, I figured this was some kind of like tutorial for a new mechanic and I, I wanted to like uh, it was telling me to press that so I, I would um, uh uh, I don't know, uh, that would some, in some way reveal some new information, which it does because you hit a cyclist and uh, you're basically tricked into doing it. But I really want to know what happens if you don't do it because yeah, I'm curious if, I'd, well. if I'd obeyed my ears and just uh, gone on instinct and avoided it, um, uh, would that have, uh, must have had different dialogue. Um, yeah, I'm curious how much branching, branching there is. In and then stuff. that is seems to be established as like a bonus mechanic, like you're trying to dodge the cars but hit the bicycles. But it, like for me, partly because I was duped, I was just like completely... Well, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just avoiding both. Um, it's it's a weird one. I find it, um, maybe this is intentional, but when the thing is, um, it was really kind of the same challenge each time. The things come at you faster or slower, but really it's just um, for the first part of the sound, you can't tell at all which side it's coming in because I don't know if this is literally true, but it sounded that way to me. And it would make sense because when something's like, 500 meters ahead of you and two meters to your left it doesn't sound like it's coming from your left right it sounds like it's coming from in front of you um and as it gets closer it's more and more uh, to one side rather than in both ears um and so for me it was just kind of waiting until i, I could tell which ear it's coming in and um uh it's so simple it's just, it's just left or right um that uh once i kind of got that i was just i was succeeding too much i think it was just too easy to do it but also i'm aware that like when you're just doing sensory input like that that isn't what people are used to 
Um, the whole audio section of The Witness for me was just absolutely uncompletable. Could not do any hmm. part of it. I think maybe like the first stage of the first set of puzzles I could do. And then after that, was just absolutely nope. I cannot even guess what you like. My guess is just always wrong. And I um, listen to it and I'm not 100% sure this is how the pitch goes. And so whatever that, it's a, that was a, a set of puzzles that initially at least were about like, drawing a graph of the pitch that you just heard the pitch variance that you just heard and that is a skill apparently i do not have in any capacity yeah so. and those puzzles for me were just like a trivial task to perform <laughs> but i couldn't do the yeah, color ones that. because my color vision is right. slightly weak yeah it's weird um so I, I think this is like probably less of a niche skill to just hear which ear a thing is coming in but it's um i'm betting there are people who find it way harder than others and that's what they were saying in the talk, actually, is that, right. that, that there's a, a huge variance in just the limited playtesting that they've done, whether people find things trivial or hard. Yeah. So they're having a really hard time balancing for that. Mm. It's also weird because the way that differentiating where something is in space in headphones is nothing like the way that it works in real <laughs> life. Yeah, because you, if you turn your head, it's going to well, okay. yeah. be wrong. Tur- right? Turning your head, for sure. But you can, you can do the um, positional audio... If you assume that you're looking straight ahead, then you can you can if you record things with two microphones that can create the the same sort of illusion, yeah. right? And they can simulate that now with computers or whatever. <laughs> they can simulate a lot of things with computers nowadays. <laughs> That's video games where you they can simulate some of this stuff. <laughs> it's worth looking up how that works. I remember being really fascinated by that in the. Uh, cognition course that i took oh, the in college. yeah like how you figure out where things are in the environment it's because it's way more complicated than your brain just processing it right because it's it, it's actually using it's physics it's stuff. the time differential between when a sound hits your left ear and when it hits your right ear but that's like hmm. fat that's less time than individual neurons can respond yeah. to so there's a bunch of neurons wired up in parallel to allow it to happen but even then that only narrows it down to like a cone and you have to then minutely adjust the position of your ears to further isolate it within that cone of, wow. of ambiguity. It's, it is like learning about how brains work to the limited ability that they have to understand themselves and the amount of information <laughs> that they have yet to discover. Uh, it's fucking horrifying. Would we be, would we be much better at this if our ears were just twice as far apart? Yeah, probably. Like, the speed well, it, of sound. It, we'd be able to see so much if we just had eyes on either side of our head instead of the front. <laughs> yep. I still really... Maybe put those eyes in the ears so that they can just be on like an oh, yeah, appendage, yeah. like a sort can, of mounting you bracket. You can see what's coming. I still really coming. want the VR game that's just, get, this is a bird simulator, but it simulates the part of a bird where their eyes point in <laughs> dramatically different directions. I have, I think I've played that just on a flat screen where half the screen is looking left and half the screen is looking right. Mm. And as you move forwards, uh, yeah, what, how does you'd that... think it would be halfway possible, but it's not. There's... Oh no, no, sorry. It was actually wasn't VR. Um, because I was, I said this, uh, maybe even on the podcast. Um, and somebody replied to me on Twitter saying, Oh, I made a demo of that. Here it is. <laughs> and I tried it and it was just like, ah, yeah, what, 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 is the, what is the experience of that? It seems like it would be, it doesn't, inducing. it doesn't cohere in your head. Um, no. huh. uh, it just, you kind of can't process it. Like, like every now and then there's a moment where the things line up and so there are experiments where they've taken people's vision and like they put goggles on people and they just flip it upside down. 
It was um, and for like for a week, it, it's nausea inducing and like difficult. But then people adjust. Yeah. How did they find somebody that was willing to? to I don't know. do that for a week. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I'm wondering if the same thing would be true if you just you know put a goggles on that had cameras pointing to either side, and that mm. was just how your vision worked. Now, whether your brain would be like, okay, well, I'm just going to figure out how to navigate the world. Like, had to walk being, sideways you know? all the time, right? Like, you, you... well, it depends on how much how I guess the field of view of each eye, right? Yeah. I think actually the thing I tried was like a sort of chameleon simulator where you could adjust each of you independently. Oh, wow. So, you, yeah. yeah. With like the thumbsticks? I don't know. I'm really hazy on what the fuck this thing did to me. <laughs> like I had a really unpleasant experience with the thing my, someone made to test the bank account was so much sm- like lower <laughs> afterwards. I don't get it. Maybe it was an amnesia simulator. <laughs> or in, in an amnesia inducer. Uh, I think the last game that I can think, remember playing was uh, Pipsqueak. Um, it's a game by Ginny Jia Xiao. I'm probably massacring the pronunciation there. Um, but it is, uh, it's very different than a lot of the other games uh, that she's made, which are sort of very sort of personal games about sort of her life and, and sort of navigating her world or whatever. Um, and this one is actually kind of like a little puzzle game. It's like a turn-based puzzler where you have two button inputs and you're um, a character that is uh, on a, like existing on a gridded world and you are two by one um, and each uh, like you have two, f- your two feet, left and right feet, and each button advances a, f- a foot f- ahead of you. Um, and so, if you want to walk in a straight line, you alternate left and right. Uh, when if you want to turn, you just keep pushing the same right. foot, and it will sort of alternate, go in the eight spaces around the the other foot. Um, and that is enough of a sort of interesting mechanic where if everything else moves on the um, when you move, uh, it creates this interesting sort of situation where you're trying to navigate the world you move pretty slowly but you can if you're careful you can avoid other objects that are moving in the world um and then you have to like navigating corners becomes sort of a a tricky challenge and you're trying to actually collect objects in the world and navigate to you know each level is just sort of getting from the beginning to the end sometimes you have to collect a key to unlock a gate or whatever Um, but it's it's it was really kind of clever and neat and uh, I hope uh, I hope she continues working on it because I think it's this was a game that was just commissioned so I think it's right. just been a couple of weeks of development um, yeah I guess you say like a, probably most of the stuff we're talking about is not out <laughs> yeah well, there's a there's an itch bundle I think for the um, the commissioned games for sure right um, and I think that was released while we were here um, but yeah a lot of the games that we're talking about are not released yet unfortunately yeah, which games are in that bundle minute is Oh, I don't know. No. Um, so, oh, uh, the stakes are too high. Is one um, the the game formerly known as Banana Chalice um, that now has a ridiculously long name that I can't remember. Um, oh, it's not the game formerly known as Banana Chalice. No, sorry. Uh, it's actually Untitled Goose Game now. <laughs> um, the Pipsqueak, Lauren Schmidt's little game collection. Um, oh, Forget Me Not. I could have sworn that Forget Me Not came out some years ago. Michael Walker said that there was an iOS version that is no longer available uh, that was either the basis for this or like an earlier version of this. Okay. Um, and I don't know how, I don't know how fundamentally it's changed or not, but I mean I from the screenshots update. this looked way more glitchy and chaotic. Okay. Uh, Forget me not was just pretty it was like Pac-Man but you could kind of grind on walls to build up speed. This did not have any of that. This you uh, this is a navigating sort of a Pac-Man like space where you are continually shooting um, and 
you collect a bunch of the stuff on the screen and then at some point you've reached a threshold and an exit appears and you have to collect a key and carry it to the exit and there are enemies moving around on the screen some of them fire projectiles some of them don't moving into things can um uh, sometimes hurt you and sometimes it doesn't uh and then sometimes this and it gets really rough uh sometimes the level wraps around from side to side and you when you're shooting uh, your shots can hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you can create these like sort of death corridors where your shots are just sort of looping endlessly and you're just going to, um, you're not going to be able to pass through there without taking damage. Um, although when you pick up the key, it sort of tra- tails along behind you and it absorbs shots and it doesn't take any damage. So there, there is a way to like. Are they designed levels or? Uh, that is an excellent question. I do not know. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't, it was not noisy, random to the point where you couldn't navigate, but it might have been. Um, sort of funky procedurally generated stuff potentially yeah I think we got copies of that bundle for buying a fantastic arcade ticket so we'll have to play the ones that we didn't play and maybe talk about them next week yeah Hmm. yeah so that's fantastic arcade yep I think that's all we got we don't have like a second (laughs) section to this (laughs) because we don't have any questions or anything fantastic arcade is it it really feels like it is a thing for developers It, it feels like a a show that is sort of difficult to justify spending the money to come to from all but a just like networking and like fellow feeling perspective um it seems it's it's like it has fairly little public facing value um yeah like i think that's a lot of the talks i do not imagine would be that interesting to people who were not working in games agreed um some of them would be. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about was uh, the the guy who made the stakes are too high, which is just a weird game where you're a sort of Mario running around in these uh, environments where everything is all these 2D physics objects, and it's like about navigating the American healthcare system, but it's like he just made up every room as he went along. Yep. It, it's not... It, it, it's fun to play through... Um, but basically your options are jump, which effectively does nothing except move physics stuff around or skip to the next level. <laughs> like those are the two controls. And the only way to get to the next level is to press the button to skip to the new level. Once you're done, you think seeing whatever this level has to offer. Yeah. There's no explicit, uh, goals on any particular screen. No. Oh. Um, but they, there was a talk where, uh, he made a game using some of that tech, um, while Natalie Lawhead, who made a game at a talk last year yep. at Fantastic Arcade, uh, made a website for this <laughs> game, and then they put it up for sale on Itch, uh, and it's terrible. And, and, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of audience in-jokes that weren't even funny the first time and um, should not be purchased unless you just like that guy and want to give him some money. And also, I don't remember his name or what <laughs> so they called know. the game. And the... <laughs> The trailer video is just some video of Britney Spears painting flowers. <laughs> was it Fernando? Yeah, but I don't know his last name. I also don't know his last name. Romilia? Okay. Romilia. Yeah. How do you end your podcast, Tom? Uh, oh, God, with a litany of information that I don't have to hand. <laughs> oh, wait. No, okay. Uh, one of you is at Ghanas. Uh, one of you is at PCG Ludo. Uh <laughs> I can't believe you remember Graham's Twitter name. He hasn't been on it in like three years. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's memorable. F- fuck. Uh, Hippo always spells her. You can spell Philippa Wars username. P H I double L I P A. No. Caveat for this. I can't 
accurately assess the double p right i feel like if she hadn't if she didn't spell it every time i would be able to recite it Uh, i don't remember chris thurston's is it c thurston yes okay all right and you're pentadact i I should do yours then um uh you are at zap jackson Mm -hmm. uh kevin you are at puzzle theory uh Jim, who isn't there, is <laughs> Mogwai Poet. Is there an underscore? There is Mogwai yeah. underscore Poet. Yeah, and Riff is at Rifflesby. Yeah, I thought there was Riffles in it, but I can yeah. think where it goes from there. <laughs> um, uh, and then we, you, and then you all say thanks for. Well, hang on, yeah, we, uh, <laughs> are you guys going to join in on that? Oh, I'm going to. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, but first, we should mention we both have patrons and oh right, yeah. podcast. Yeah, we, by God, that. we never mention our Patreon <laughs> at all. Uh, well, we thanks to our, our generous Patreon backers every that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the made up ones um, no uh, that's the terrible secret is <laughs> uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash crate and crowbar ours is patreon.com slash yeah I don't actually know <laughs> just search for video games hot dog Patreon or go to video games hot dog.com and click the Patreon button yeah and we have crate and for all links to all the other things that I'm not going to remember off the top of my head and um, discord uh, yeah we have a discord I, I can't remember them there's a YouTube channel and a discord but it just uh, you can just go there and, and do that <laughs> yeah we have forums where we post show notes we usually include those links in the Twitter you can follow us at VG hot dog on Twitter if you want to follow the podcast <laughs> Um, oh yeah, and um, uh, Crate and Crowbar is at Crate and Crowbar on Twitter. Um, and all that remains to say is thanks for listening, everybody. Cockaboo boo blah.